So last week we started a series uh, entitled, For This Reason I Was Born. And the phrase, for this reason I was born, actually came from uh, a phrase that Jesus uses in a story in the Gospel of John. And Jesus is on trial, and he's having this discussion with Pontius Pilate, who's trying to kind of figure out who Jesus is and what to do with him. And as they're having this discussion, uh, Pilate's basically saying, you think you're a king? And Jesus has this phrase where he says, uh, for this reason I was born, that he is a king of a very different kind of kingdom, and that he's come to witness to the truth. And as we start to kind of look at the identity of Jesus, what we find from this phrase is Jesus understands his purpose, why he's here on earth, why God has sent him. And as we... Uh, as a church, the body of Christ, uh, seek to be the body of Christ here in this community, what we want to do is pursue the way of Jesus. If this is what Jesus' purpose was, how do we align our hearts and our actions with who he is and what he's done? So last week we talked about this idea of pursuing the way of Jesus. We want to be a church that pursues the way of Jesus in everything that we do. And so we shared the, uh, a story a story of, that the old theologian Charles Spurgeon tells about uh, this town in medieval Europe that was destroyed by a storm. And as the town was destroyed, everyone in the town went into despair, and there was this monk that showed up, and he started to uh, feed those who were hungry. He took care of those who were sick, uh, gave shelter to those who were homeless. And through that monk's actions, people started to realize uh, that God is with them. And so as we pursue the way of Jesus, as we are the hands and feet of Jesus here on earth, other people have an encounter with this living Christ through his church. It's a story that uh, some of you have heard if you've been a part of Desert City for a while. And as we consider today's topic, as we consider going through this idea of redeeming the past, I want to tell another story uh, that's kind of familiar uh, to people here. If you've been here for the last year and a half, two years. And so as I tell the story, if you've heard it before, I apologize. Um, but as Tom Hagedon reminded me, uh, things that are important to us, we need to reiterate and tell over and over again. And maybe the story is new to you. But I think it very much shapes kind of who we are in our activity here in North Phoenix. And the story uh, takes place in Paraguay, down in South America. And Paraguay is... Uh, part of the developing world. There's some areas of it that are nice. There's some that aren't very nice. We've been watching the Olympics this week, and uh, we can see Rio as this gorgeous city, um, but also as a developing country still, uh, the diving pool turns green, right? And so Paraguay uh, is, is in South America. It's in the developing world. And there's this town uh, called Catura in Paraguay. And this town uh, was built on a trash dump. And so it's not far from the capital of Paraguay. And the capital basically has this big landfill where they just dump all of their trash. And this town, this town called Katura rises up kind of around this trash dump. And uh, so if you think of this as already a developing country, this is like the poorest part of that develop, developing country. The people, their economy literally uh, relies on this trash dump. They find things that are in this dump and they try to repurpose them and sell them. So the living conditions in this town are, uh, are pretty difficult, to say the least. 
If you're a child growing up in this town, you don't have much hope for a future. You don't have much hope for health or education. You're probably going to join a gang. You're probably going to join a corrupt system. And there was a, a man in this village uh, who had a nickname, Cola. I don't know if that's because of Coca-Cola or what, but everyone called him Cola. And he was walking through this trash dump one day, and uh, he stumbled across uh, an object that looked a little bit like a violin. And he said, that, that kind of looks like a violin. And, uh, and I wonder if it once was a violin. It's this piece of junk. Or I wonder if we can make a violin out of it. So there was a musician in the town named Fabio Chavez. And Cola took the trash and took it to Fabio Chavez and says, hey, can you make a violin out of this? And Fabio Chavez says, yeah, probably. And so they ended up taking this piece of trash, getting some strings, and creating a violin. And it played. And it played beautiful music. And Fabio Chavez had an idea that you uh, could repurpose a piece of junk and turn it into an instrument. And he said, I wonder what else we can do to get more instruments for this village. And so they ended up making a cello. They ended up making a number of different stringed instruments. And Fabio Chavez had this idea that I'm going to start teaching children in this community to play these instruments. These are like classical orchestra pieces. And it'll give some, the people in the town something to do to make instruments, and it'll give the children a chance to learn about classical music. And so Fabio Chavez started repurposing all of this trash into these classical pieces of, uh, of musical instruments. And after doing this for a while, what, what happened was the children in this village all started to learn how to play uh, classical music, like uh, music that would be played at uh, a symphony. And as the children started to play together, they actually started to get really good, and Fabio Chavez ended up building what he called the Landfill Harmonic, this group of children that played musical instruments. Uh, this Landfill Harmonic became so popular in Paraguay that their story spread throughout South America, and they became so popular that they spread throughout the world. In fact, about a year and a half ago, I was at the Musical Instrument Museum, and it's the first time I had kind of seen this story. And as they had this exhibit set up, and they had all these instruments that were formed uh, by these people in this town of Paraguay that were made out of trash. And these children all of a sudden had purpose as they had uh, created this beautiful orchestra. As I went through the exhibit and I was reading the story, I was thinking, this is an amazing story. And when I got to the end of the exhibit, there was this quote by Fabio Chavez, and it said this. When the world sends us trash, we send back music. When the world sends us trash, we make music. And I thought, that's such, that's such an amazing line. That's such an amazing story, this landfill harmonic. As I considered our work as a church, this is a story of something being repurposed. This is a story of something being redeemed. And I thought, this is... This is our story as a church. We take, we take terrible things of this world, things that have been thrown away. We take trash, and we make music out of them. We make beautiful things. And when I thought about who do we want to be as a community as Desert City, when people ask, what kind of a church is this? I want to be a church that is redeeming the past. We're a church that is redeeming the past. And the same spirit that Fabio Chavez has where he's able to take things that have been tossed aside and thrown away and make something beautiful out of them.
I want to be a church that does the same thing. All of us have a past. If you're in here today, you have a past. Some of our pasts uh, we don't like to talk about. Uh, some of our pasts we've had thing, people do terrible things to us. Some of us have done terrible things. But we believe the story that we're a part of, God's work in this world is taking all of these things in our past that might look like trash and redeeming them for something good. When the world gives us trash, in Christ we make music. I think the best story that uh, we see of this kind of redemption where, where a person is just given trash in Scripture is found very on in the story of Scripture in Genesis. If you want to turn to Genesis chapter 37, the story very much outlines what happens when the world gives you trash. There's a young boy named Joseph, and uh, Joseph uh, has a lot of brothers. Uh, Joseph is the son of Israel. And uh, let me just read a little bit to kind of set this up, uh, set up the story. If you're in Genesis chapter 37, we'll start in verse 2. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. So if you're a teenager and someone does that, this is what you call a snitch, a narc, you know, right? Verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So this boy, uh, his life, we find out that he's favored by his father of all of his brothers and that his father ends up giving him this unique gift. So like his life starts off pretty good. But often what happens, especially in families, is if uh, one person kind of gets this blessing or a gift that someone else has, obviously there's going to be some tension or some resentment. And in Joseph's story, it's the same. But also we find that Joseph kind of, because of his being favored, has a little bit of like this entitled attitude, maybe, that doesn't really help the situation. We find Joseph having this dream, and God speaks to him in this dream. In his dream, uh, God's speaking to him about something that's happening in the future. And as Joseph kind of starts to interpret what God's speaking to him, it sounds very, like, narcissistic, even if that's really what's happening. And so the brothers end up hating him all the more. And we find that in this story, as it starts off, like, his brothers are off working, and Joseph shows up and finds out that they're not doing what they're supposed to do, so he tattles on them. The story continues that the brothers go out and they're working again. And Joseph's father sends Joseph out again to find out what the brothers are up to. As the story continues, what we find is the brothers, they see Joseph coming and they know, oh, here comes the kid that we all can't stand, the spoiled brat, right? He's probably going to tell on us again. So they devise this plan. In chapter 37, what we find is that their hatred is so great for Joseph that they want to kill him can't imagine, you know, how bad it is that you would want to kill a family member, but they're ready to do it. One of the older brothers kind of speaks up and says, we can't do this to Joseph. We need to, there's no way that we, he's our brother, we can't do this. So they end up just throwing him in this large cistern or this large well and leaving him there, trying to figure out what to do with him. Knowing this will kind of teach this little brat a lesson, right? That's kind of, at least we're going to, at least scare him, scare him to think that we could do some terrible things. 
But then we find that these brothers, as they continue to argue about what to do to Joseph, they know that they don't want to just kill him. There's this caravan of slave owners that come through. And if you know the story, you know that they have this discussion and they decide to sell Joseph. They sell their brother into slavery because they're so sick of him. So Joseph gets sold into slavery and taken to Egypt. So this is like a real tragic story. Joseph's life, he starts off pretty sheltered, pretty pampered, uh, pretty nice. All of a sudden has something terrible that happens to him. And you think like, I don't know what Joseph has done uh, to deserve this, but I mean, I, I doubt he's done something so terrible that it was worth him being sold into slavery. So he gets trafficked to Egypt. He gets to Egypt, and we find that he's, he's a slave. He's living as a slave. But he believes that God is with him. And so as the story kind of continues, what we find is that, that Joseph, uh, in the midst of this terrible circumstance, in the midst of this terrible thing happening to him, stays faithful to God. And as God is with him, everything that Joseph does flourishes. Everything that Joseph does in this terrible situation, God blesses him. And so he gets noticed. Joseph gets noticed among all these other slaves. And he's actually placed into the house of this uh, high-ranking Egyptian official named Potiphar. As the story goes, Potiphar all of a sudden starts to entrust him because he knows He's hardworking, he's diligent, everything he does turns to gold. He's one of those guys that just knows how to, to fix things, he knows how to succeed, he's kind of like what Tim Stansel is to us. Oh. Everything he does, he does well. And he gets noticed by Potiphar's wife. And so then we have some weird like Kardashian story thing happening here. Uh, there's a lot of drama. Potiphar's wife falls in love with Joseph and basically tries to uh, seduce him. And what we find is that Joseph wants nothing to do with her. So they have this interaction. And as many of you know this story, Joseph ends up like running away from her. But as he runs away from her, she grabs his cloak. And she's furious because he's rejected her. She's furious that he would, have, uh, that he would not want anything to do with her. So she takes the cloak and she goes to Potiphar. And she makes up this lie about Joseph and says uh, that he was coming on to her. So... Potiphar finds this out, and of course, he's furious. And so Joseph, once again, is treated unjustly. He's treated in a way that is unfair. He's falsely accused of something that he hasn't done. And he's thrown back into jail. So now we have Joseph, once again, everything's going well for him. He's succeeding. It's almost like he's just blessed. And then someone else sees that and does something that just destroys his life. A second time. Then we find that he's in jail in this terrible circumstance where he's been treated unjustly. Someone has done something to him, and he's undeserving of it. And he's in jail. As he's in jail, he starts to have these kind of friendships that he builds with other people that are in jail. And he ends up meeting a cupbearer and a baker of the Pharaoh. These two guys who are kind of in the king's court, and they're kind of important, but they've done something wrong, so they're also in jail. And he's starting having this discussion with these two guys. And it says in chapter, 30, chapter 40, in verse 14, he was having this conversation with the cupbearer, and he says, uh, hoping that all goes well with you. If you get out of here, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even... Here, I have done nothing to deserve 
being put into this dungeon. He's reflecting on this life, and he's talking to this friend that's about to get out of jail, and he's saying, I was treated unfairly, unjustly. I was put here in this prison. He says, remember me when you get out, because what I'm doing right now, I don't deserve it. This is like, like if Cyril had a podcast at this point, right? They would totally go after this story. This guy's in here unjustly. And then what we find is that as his buddy gets out, the cupbearer goes back into the king's court, and he forgets Joseph. Again, Joseph is forgotten. So this life that Joseph has lived is tragic. It's this life that starts off so promising. It's this life that, start, that starts off, it, people call him blessed and favored. And then what we find is like tragedy after tragedy where Joseph does nothing wrong, but bad things keep happening to him. It's actually a story that if, when you get into the details of it, it's heartbreaking to see what Joseph has to go through. But this whole time in the midst of these terrible circumstances, he stays very loyal to God. And eventually this cupbearer remembers who he is. Pharaoh has a dream and tries to figure out what it is, and the cupbearer remembers the discussions that he's had with this guy in prison. Pharaoh eventually goes and talks to Joseph. Joseph interprets his dream. And what we find is that Pharaoh has this dream that's kind of uh, hard to understand, but it basically, like what's happening in the gist of his dream is that God's speaking to him and saying, there's a great famine coming to the, town, to the, the land of Egypt. And in the story, we find that God's saying, you're going to have seven years of abundance and then seven years of famine, and you need to store up during the years of abundance to get ready for the years of famine. And Joseph says, this is what's happening in this dream. So Pharaoh says, that makes sense. And so they have seven years of abundance, and Pharaoh and Egypt stockpile resources, and then they have seven years of famine. And because Joseph was able to kind of give guidance to the, to the Pharaoh, Pharaoh takes Joseph and he makes him second in command in all of Egypt. Again, something great happens to Joseph in the midst of a tragic story. And what we find is that as the famine hits, kind of like the Fertile Crescent, as the famine hits Egypt, uh, people start starving. We don't really see the effects of famine in in our culture because, you know, we have (laughs) Chick-fil-A. But imagine if you completely live off the land you're completely dependent on the weather, you're completely dependent on the crops. And as the famine hits, everyone's starving. And here we have Joseph, all of a sudden, in the midst of all of the trials that he's gone through, sitting number two in command of the wealthiest country on earth. And he's trying to make decisions on distributing, how do we get the food that we've stored up over the last seven years to all these people who are dying? Some of the people who are starving, we find in the story, end up being Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers who treated him unfairly, who hated him, who sold him into slavery. They show up at the king's court asking for food. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize Joseph. And as you're reading through the story, you're starting to realize what's happening here. All of a sudden, this this young boy who's been treated unfairly has all the power. The dreams that he has early in life have come true. And he now has his brothers who showed no mercy to him. He has all the control over them. And as the discussion takes place, all sorts of stuff happens, but eventually they get to this place where the brothers realize this is, our, this is Joseph who we've sold into slavery, 
and he can do whatever he wants to us. What we find is that Joseph has mercy on these people who showed no mercy to him. And he ends up saving them, and he ends up reconciling with his family. He ends up going back and explaining to his father everything that had happened. It's an unbelievable story. An unbelievable story of of Joseph forgiving. And as we kind of read through the story, what we find is at the end of it, Joseph's dad dies. And his brothers think, well, maybe he's just being merciful to us to honor our father. And so they go to Joseph and they say, now that our dad is dead, are you going to take your revenge on us? And it's so interesting. Joseph has this line that I think is one of the most powerful scriptures that we have, one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Joseph says this in Genesis 50. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph has been given trash, and he's made music. Joseph's had terrible things given to him, terrible things done to him. And God has used his circumstance to create music. What was intended to be harmful to me, God has taken it and used it for good. This is redemption. And this is the story that we are a part of. We all have this past. We all have these things that were done to us that were unfair. We've all done other things to people that are unfair. In the midst of all of that, God is working. Jesus says this in John. He says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I've lived a pretty spoiled and sheltered life. I haven't had a lot of like terrible things done to me. Definitely not sold into slavery, right? Definitely not put into prison, falsely accused. I remember kind of reflecting even the things that have been done to me that are unjust. I, I remember very vividly in my childhood getting in trouble in elementary school. And I, I got in trouble a lot, but there was one time I was sent to the principal's office, and I figured it was for something, but I ended up getting to the principal's office and realizing it was for something else. But the something else was something that I didn't do. And so I go in there thinking, I'm in trouble for this thing over here. But then when I find out what I'm in for, I realize, like, that's not me. I didn't do that. And it ended up something had sold, someone had stolen something out of, like, the PE equipment room, and someone had accused me of it. And I remember sitting there thinking, like, I'm innocent. And you know when you sit in the principal's office, you already have, like, this feeling in your gut. And then to find out that it wasn't what I thought it was, it was about something else, I'm like, well, I'm innocent of that. But you have this sense of, like, I'm being falsely accused of something. I mean, like, why would someone, like, do that to me to cover the, you know, cover themselves? And I I remember very vividly, like, the first time in my life as a child feeling like something unjust had been done to me. And it was such a small little incident and small little feeling. But I'll never forget what was going inside of my stomach when I had to, like, explain myself. This isn't fair. Someone's done something to me that's not fair. And maybe you've 
experienced that too. Maybe it's a much, a much bigger story where you've had someone treat you unfairly. You've been given trash. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's a friendship where you've been betrayed, accused. We all have a sense that uh, when we're treated unfairly, when there's injustice, we want things to be made right. And here we have a story of Joseph being treated unfairly. And God taking the terrible thing that had happened to him, that had been meant to harm him, and using it to save the lives of other people. So we want to be a place that knows this, that God is redeeming what others have done to you in the past. And I don't know what that is. But if you're a desert city, we want to walk alongside you in the process of redemption. God is redeeming all of the things that have been done to us. I love what Henry Nouwen says. He says, Jesus changes our history from a random series of sad incidents and accidents into a constant opportunity for a change of heart. Jesus takes all of these terrible tragedies that we experience through life. It doesn't say that he does them to us to take us through something. And there's a huge theological issue about that. But what it does say is that we go through them. And Jesus takes all of these different pieces, all of these terrible things that have happened to us, and uses them for something beautiful. When the world gives us trash, God makes music out of it. And I think this is important as we kind of uh, consider our lives. Because we get pulled in all sorts of different directions. And what we find is that something inside of our soul withers. We have something inside of us that just feels like it's bleeding when we consider our past. This is why uh, counseling is good, right? To go back and to try to find peace and wholeness and understand your story. Um, but God is putting things back together. There's a, a bleeding disorder called hemophilia. Some of you have heard about it. Hemophilia is uh, it's a rare bleeding disorder in which the blood doesn't clot normally. And so if you have hemophilia, uh, you may bleed for longer than others if you get an injury. And so uh, if, if you end up getting like a, a small wound or a cut, you can end up kind of bleeding out from it. So it's very dangerous. And this Henry Nouwen, who is, I just quoted, talks about this idea that there's, there's almost like a spiritual hemophilia that we have, hemophilia that we have. There's something inside of our soul that as it continues to get kind of ruptured or cut open by people who have done stuff to us, it's hard to stop the bleeding. Like spiritually, we get drained. Something is kind of pulled out of us. And Henry Nouwen talks about this idea of like what God does is he clots the, ble the bleeding. When our soul is bleeding, God comes and patches it back together. All the things that have been done to us that are leading to our destruction, God repairs. God repairs. So we want to be a church that is redeeming what others have done. And I think this is important to find this redemption because uh, the simple phrase goes, as you've probably heard, is that hurt people hurt people. And oftentimes those who have hurt you 
uh, have been hurt in their past. And so we look at our lives and say, the things that I've been hurt by, I want to find healing and wholeness because hurt people hurt people. I don't want to continue this cycle. And then what we find is that God is also redeeming the things that I've done to hurt others. When we read through the story in Genesis and we read through Joseph's story, there's other characters in the story. There's the brothers. There's Potiphar's wife. There's his friends who are in prison. What we find is that we can also identify with them. We have done things to others that are painful. Things that we may not want to think about, things that might be terrible, things that we might try to hide that we're ashamed of. But what's interesting is that the things that Joseph's brothers have done to Joseph, God takes those things and redeems them as well. And so when we seek kind of this redemption, it's not only for what's been done to us, but it's also what we've done to other people. So we come to this God who can put it all back together and ask for him to redeem these terrible things. I think this is important because when we consider our, our church culture at Desert City, when we consider the community that we're in, we want to be a place that is redeeming the past. And that starts with us individually. We can't transform others. We can't transform a community until we allow God to transform what's inside of us. We allow God to put us back together. And then from that, we redeem others. But redeeming the past means this uh, for Desert City. Redeeming the past means that in this room, everyone is welcome because all of us have this past. We've all had things that have happened to us. We've all had things that we've done to others. And in this place, everyone is welcome. We also have this understanding that no one is perfect as a church. I'm not perfect. All of us have baggage. All of us have brokenness. All of us have things that we're ashamed of. All of us have things that we're trying to sort out. But then we also believe that anything can happen as we come together. Anything can happen. We're all invited. We're all welcome. We have this understanding that we all have a past. But we believe in a God who redeems trash piles and turns them into music. And here at Desert City, we, we believe anything can happen. So if we're a church that's seeking to redeem the past, we're all invited, we're all broken, and anything can happen. And that's the kind of culture we want to create here. That's what we believe God is doing. He's taking our trash and making music. Tim's going to come back up, and uh, the band's going to close us with a song. But one of the things that we do each week here at Desert City is we partake in the Eucharist. Communion, the elements, the Lord's Supper. And as we do this, we, we spend time reflecting on uh, the story of Scripture and what it means for us today. And as we consider our past today, as we consider uh, things that others have done to us uh, that are harmful, I don't know where you're at. Some of you might be carrying around light things, like someone cut me off in traffic on the way to church. 
Some of you might be carrying much heavier things. And someone has harmed you and it's disrupted your whole life and you're trying to pick up the pieces. You're trying to understand how to move forward from here. How to know what, uh, what you're feeling, what you've gone through. You're welcome here. And if something has been done unjustly today, we invite you to the table. This table represents the brokenness of God, that he broke himself open and poured himself out that we may have life. And we believe that when we enter relationship with God, through his brokenness, we find wholeness. Through his death, we find life. So we go to the table asking to be put back together. Maybe you've done something to someone else that's harmed them. Maybe you've done something that's unjust, something that you're ashamed of. We come to the table today trusting, once again, that God puts us back together, that he redeems our actions, that we find forgiveness. So as we come to the table today, maybe there's something that we need uh, to just confess to God and say, I don't want to be someone who treats others unfairly. We come to the table with that as well. And as we move to this time of communion, if you would like prayer, if you'd like someone to just uh, to share this burden, if you'd like someone to, to pray over you, uh, Tom and Sarah are going to be standing in the back. We'd love to pray for you here. And our hope is that create a culture where we can actually share the things that are broken, the things that are trash, so that God can start to make music out of them. So if you'd like to pray, Tom and Sarah will be back there. But as we move to communion, let us reflect on these questions. Those questions, I don't know if they have up there. What are the things that need to be redeemed in your life? What have others done to you? What have you done to yourself and to others? How can we allow God to redeem the past today? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your love for us. Lord, we thank you for this story that we find in Scripture of Joseph, the story that could have been tragic, the story that was, as we read through it, is unjust. Things that have happened to him, Lord, that are just trash. And yet we see you with him this whole time. We see you taking terrible circumstances and creating something great. The things that were meant to harm him, Lord, actually brought life to others. Lord, we know that we can, we tap into this story, this, this grand story of redemption in this world. And all of us have a story. And we come to you today, Lord, with our story and ask for you to make something beautiful out of it. That you would redeem us that you would redeem our circumstances, that you would redeem our relationships, our families, Lord. You would put back together things that are broken, things that were intended for our harm, Lord, would actually be life-giving. So, Lord, stir in our hearts today. Bring healing. Bring redemption. In your sons and we pray. Amen.